I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Nuggets numbers. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Tuesday morning as I come to you following a really strong win against the Minnesota Timberwolves in a back to back on the road. Michael Porter Jr. puts up 20 points, 14 rebounds, four assists. Overall, just looks like a great player, wonderful asset to this team going forward. He continues to grow before our very eyes, looks very strong continues to have confidence in his pull-up jumper, and he's continuing to build confidence in the catch-and-shoot three as well. He's had a couple of uh, scenarios over the course of the last few games where he has had to hit those shots, and he has hit them with a just devastating regularity that opposing teams are going to start fearing sooner rather than later. Uh, Chris Dempsey on Twitter earlier today, I'm, I'm recording this on Monday night, he talked about how Michael Porter Jr. continues to work his way up the game report, uh, the the uh, scouting report, excuse me, for opposing teams. And I tend to agree with him with the way that teams are starting to defend him, starting to respect him with the amount of coverage that he's been getting over the course of the last few games, teams rotating over onto him. It's just been very impressive to watch him grow in spite of that and grow because of that. He continues to showcase new levels of his abilities that we were were positing that could be there, but he's clearly showing now, and it's been awesome to see. This game is going to cover the last two Nuggets games, the first loss to Indiana on Sunday night, and then the back-to-back game that they won against the Minnesota Timberwolves just now. That'll, that will cover the first segment, and then in the next two segments, I'll probably go segment two and segment three, I, I decided on Sunday that I would kind of give way to the NBA trade talk, and I will give you my honest opinion about a number of trade proposals going forward with this Nuggets roster. I received a lot of responses on Twitter, people asking me to evaluate and grade their trades, so that's exactly what I'm going to do. I am going to go through my Twitter mentions in real time and give you guys some live reactions for players that people want on this Nuggets team and whether I think it's it's something that they can do, something that they should do, and something that the other team would say yes to. So before we get into that, I am going to evaluate these last two games. So let's get into that one real quick. All right, the Nuggets in the first contest, they lost to the Indiana Pacers 115-117. And it was very clear from the jump that the Nuggets were playing reasonably well. They had they had some 
decent success in a number of different categories. Nikola Jokic was going off. He had a great scoring game himself. Uh, he had 30 points, 10 rebounds, 4 assists. Just continue to look like the dominant Jokic that we have come to know and love when starters tend to, to go out. He usually steps up his game. He usually continues to grow in those situations and put the team on his back. That was the case in this game. Uh, he did miss four free throws, which I think is pretty notable. I think his free throw percentage is pretty down over the last few games, and that's that's a cause for mild concern, nothing, nothing major. Um, but I thought the real story of this game was the use of the Torrey Craig, Jeremy Grant, Nikola Jokic trio, uh, which hasn't really been a good trio the entire season. They have struggled with those guys where if Jeremy Grant's not hitting his shots, Torrey Craig's just not a, a an option that opposing teams are going to respect with a bunch of authority, I would say. And that's kind of exactly how this game went. Even though those guys hit their shots, Jeremy Grant had 16 points on 6 of 9 from the field. Torrey Craig had 8 points on 2 of 4 from the field. He even had 3 blocks, and he had a nice and one. He hit a 3. Those guys played individually well, but in my opinion, it was really, it's a problem to put Jokic with guys who continue to not be threats from the perimeter, real threats. Jeremy Grant only took one three tonight. Indiana's obviously not going to respect Torrey Craig's three-pointer until he continues to prove that he will shoot it with a lot of authority. And the entire team as well just just went extremely cold from behind the three-point line. Three of 23 from the three-point line as a team. That's where I thought this game was lost. The Nuggets just didn't make shots. And I thought a lot of that was not just because they the guys on the court didn't make shots. It was the guys that they chose to keep on the floor. And those lineups with Torrey Craig, Jeremy Grant, but just so much strain on Nikola Jokic, Monte Morris, Will Barton. Neither of those uh, uh, other guys, Monte Morris and Will Barton, had a really good game, especially shooting-wise. Monte Morris just one of seven from the field for two points. Will Barton did have 16 points, but on 17 shots. It's, it's hard to keep pace with an opposing team if you can't defend them. And the problem that the Nuggets ran into was that they couldn't defend the Pacers enough with that group to make up for the fact that the bench couldn't defend when they were out there. Even though they were having offensive success, Mason Plumley had a great game, uh, 13 points, 4 assists. He was creating a lot of looks. Uh, Juancho Hernan Gomez was, he was what he was in his minutes. But Michael Porter Jr., P.J. Dozier, those guys gave some good minutes. And while Malik Beasley didn't shoot it very well, because the Nuggets like to stagger Monte Morris and Will Barton onto that bench unit, it wasn't that big of a deal when when Wancho and Malik Beasley didn't really shoot that well. They could still have some guys out there who could create shots. And even though it wasn't perfect, the Nuggets still scored 107 points. They, they still had a net rating of nearly 112 even while shooting 3 of 23 from the three-point line. Unfortunately, they just need to continue to take those three-point shots, and I have stressed that from the jump, that they can't fall in love with guys who can't shoot because they're going to come up in situations like this where even their best defenders can't 
stop the opposing team. At one point, Michael Malone was forced to throw out a lineup of Will Barton, Torrey Craig, Jeremy Grant, Mason Plumley, and Nikola Jokic. Now, there's no point guard in that lineup. Will Barton is serving as the point guard. Torrey Craig moves to the two. Jeremy Grant to the three, along with Plumley and Jokic. Very interesting rotation sub there. Uh, it wasn't entirely that lineup to close the game, but that lineup did have some significant clutch time minutes. And in that, in those segments, you had Malcolm Brogdon uh, dust Mason Plumley uh, because he, he couldn't really keep up with him on the perimeter, and he got all the way to the rim for a dunk. And then the Nuggets left Doug McDermott in the corner because they had to help, and they didn't have guys that could close out quickly enough to Doug McDermott, who went absolutely off. 24 points on 9 of 10 shooting. This is the segment where I continue to lambast the Nuggets for not trusting their shooters. Uh, Michael Porter Jr., Malik Beasley, guys of that nature, because especially especially with the previous game kind of as a, as a nice barometer for for what those guys can do uh, against the Golden State Warriors when they had a really strong game, each of them. Uh, just because the shooting dries up with them individually doesn't mean they have a different impact on the game than some of the other guys do from an offensive perspective. So that was clearly a teaching moment for Malone, uh, clearly a teaching moment for Michael Porter Jr. and Malik Beasley, that in order to be out there in those clutch minutes, they have to make shots. They're, they're, they have a lot of pressure on their shoulders to be able to carry some of those groups with their floor spacing. Uh, but those guys are capable of doing it. If Malik Beasley's going one of seven and not making any threes, and if Michael Porter Jr. is only going three of nine, that, that puts Malone in a tough position where he has to make some of those calls. They were calls that I didn't agree with, clearly, but that's that's neither here nor there. It's not my decision. I can only kind of evaluate it from this perspective and in hindsight. If those guys, if the shooters aren't making shots, then you might as well kind of lean into defense, I think was the, the, the point from Malone that you just kind of got to do what you got to do and hope that you can steal one, but it just wasn't meant to be. DeMontis Sabonis was very dominant. I think his rebounding was the ultimate catalyst for why Denver went to that big lineup. Unfortunately, I think it was misplaced. Uh, the Nuggets had them on the ropes if they continued to space the floor and give Jokic some space to operate, but they didn't really do that to close the game. Um, and they, they let one slip, to be clear. Even though they were without three starters, the Pacers were on the ropes. Uh, they they made up the in the fourth quarter a 15 they had a 15 point margin for the Pacers and ultimately won by 8. Denver was up by 7 at the beginning of the fourth and kind of let go of the rope and some of that was on the bench to be clear but most of that was on the starting group who spent most of their time out there. So hard to give, assign too much blame to any one person especially with three starters out that that's an obvious caveat that needs to be said but the nuggets won the free throw battle they won the rebounding battle they turned the ball over less than the pacers it's it came down to they couldn't make their shots and they didn't attempt enough threes and that was just kind of the the story in my opinion so but beyond that let's move into the next game the Nuggets versus Minnesota Timberwolves, where Denver won 107 to 100. 
Really strong game from a variety of guys, but let's start with the main guy himself, Michael Porter Jr. Off the bench, he scores 20 points, grabs 14 rebounds as a career high, dishes another four assists. That's one aspect of his game that I don't think as many people really thought that it could be a part of the repertoire was his passing. He's actually made some significant passes over the course of the last few games when he's been given more opportunity with the ball in his hands. And the ball hasn't really stopped with him. I I, I think that that was one of the worries when he was coming into the into this team and this atmosphere that he would stop the ball and just kind of shoot whenever but four assists just one turnover he was a plus 17 hit four of his eight threes hit both free throws seven of 12 from the field just a very very strong performance from michael porter jr defense continues to be one of those things that's going to plague him, one of those things that's going to keep him off the floor at, in certain segments of the game. But I thought it was extremely clear that he was a massive change and a massive important piece for what Denver did in this comeback. Clearly, he led the team in plus minus. He was a gargantuan just size matchup over Andrew Wiggins, who's a a legit six foot eight shooting guard, six foot eight small forward. Michael Porter Jr. is just even larger than him. And it was it was interesting with the way that Wiggins played tonight. Six of seventeen, one of seven from three. Even though Porter's gonna give up some back cuts, he's going to foul some guys that he probably shouldn't. He his length just makes up for a lot of those problems. Like he had he has some serious athleticism in his pocket. His one block of the game was a chase down block where he was kind of on the help side in the middle of the floor when somebody had was beaten off the dribble. He gets back and blocks the ball right off of the glass, goes the other way, sets up on the wing. Monte Morris eventually finds him for a contested three, caught it in rhythm. He's just got a, such a pure stroke right now. He's hitting everything. Uh, whether it's inside the arc, outside the arc, uh, just a very, very clean stroke. Had some putback dunks, putback layups today. Uh, what more can you say about the kid? He he just continues to grow before our very eyes. He continues to showcase why he needs to be in the rotation on a consistent basis. Uh, it's it's going to be harder when he's not able to play the backup four minutes when when. Paul Millsap gets back healthy and Jeremy Grant moves back to the backup power forward. But I still think that the Grant Porter lineup is, is a nice duo at the three, four. And when that unit plays with Jokic, they're going to be pretty good. When that unit plays with Plumlee, we're going to see how it goes, but I think that's going to get a lot of run after this trade deadline and kind of down the home stretch. We're going to see how it goes. I am really interested to see who gets those minutes, who finishes those games, who spends time with who. Does Will Barton continue to run with the backups? Does Nikola Jokic get some time there to to help stable uh, stabilize the, the lead on occasion? I thought he did a really good job when Mason Plumlee went out. Uh, he had a rolled ankle early in this game, but... Uh, managed to come back and gave some really strong minutes towards the end. Uh, but we're going to see. There's going to be a lot of interesting factors at play.
Uh, I mentioned Jeremy Grant earlier. He had a really strong game himself. 19 points, 7 rebounds, 2 assists, 1 steal, just 1 turnover. 8 of 13 from the field, 3 of 6 from the 3-point line. He brought his game tonight. He played extremely well, matched up against Robert Covington, who's 4 of 10, 1 of 7 from 3, only 6 rebounds there. There's been this narrative that Jeremy Grant isn't good enough as a rebounder to play with Nikola Jokic, and I I disagree. I think that there are certainly opportunities for him to play in that lineup as a power forward or maybe even as a well kind of a 3-4 hybrid depending on who's the playing the other forward slot and if it's Porter Porter can defend the power forwards the bigger guys and and Grant can defend the on-ball players there it just it seems like a very natural fit to me once the everything everything sets up and so much of rebounding is just comfort comfortability of being in the right place trusting your teammates getting back when you need to get back uh, setting up on the weak side and just and just high effort stuff and Jeremy Grant seven rebounds in thirty two minutes tonight he did just that the Nuggets won the rebounding battle fifty three to forty two Carl Anthony Towns only had eight rebounds and Jeremy Grant had to spend some significant time time on him in various moments of this game because Plumlee was out or or Jokic was switched out onto other guys and. Jeremy Grant nearly out-rebounded Carl Anthony Towns. I think that's a that's a pretty big deal. So give some credit where credit is due. The Nuggets can out-rebound teams when Jeremy Grant is on the floor. I promise. It's it's not like he's like just rebounding Satan here. He can do it. Like and, and the Nuggets can do it with him. Other guys, uh, Nikola Jokic. <coughs> excuse me. Nikola Jokic had 17 points, 13 rebounds, 5 assists, 5 turnovers. He has been pretty turnover-prone of late. Uh, he has missed a couple free throws of late. He did go 3 of 4 tonight, so that's pretty reasonable. 0 of 3 from 3. Uh, the Nuggets as a team shot 35% from 3. I threw the stat out on Twitter, and it's going to be one that I continue to track. When the Nuggets shoot and exceed 35% from 3, they are now 16-1. and 1. 16 out of 17 games the Nuggets have won. Now, some of that is is just wonderful shooting, and you're you're happy to see that the Nuggets can put that together. But they've only done it in 17 games so far. That means there are 26 games that they haven't been able to achieve 35% from three. That's a big deal. Have to put shooters out there. Have to put guys that you can trust out there. And so I'm looking forward to seeing what they do and whether Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, Paul Millsap can give those guys a boost shooting-wise. Millsap was certainly shooting pretty well on the season, but Jamal Murray and Gary Harris were not, so you hope that they can get back into a rhythm once they return. Um, And is there anybody else that we really need to talk about? Malik Beasley had some nice minutes. He had three steals. He hit a key three-pointer towards the end of this game. Uh, Will Barton. 18 points, four, four assists, two, only two rebounds tonight. But again, rebounding is a team sport. It's it's a it's a team activity where sometimes you, you're the one who's rebounding, sometimes it's other guys. Michael Porter was clearly the one who was rebounding tonight, and he grabbed 14 of them. So that's fine as long as you as long as you out rebound the other team. That's really all that matters. It, it's not your individual stats that really matter in this case. If you box out. That's all you can really ask for. Just have somebody else grab the rebound. Um, 
Yeah, that's pretty much it. Carl Anthony Towns did his thing. He had 28 points. Josh Akogi hit 16 points off the bench. Andrew Wiggins had 15 points on 17 shots. Really strong performance from Denver all around. Uh, wasn't a great offensive performance. They didn't get to the free throw line a ton, but they did just enough. And Michael Porter Jr. was really key in getting them over that hump. So that was a pretty impressive piece of this. So when we come back, I want to get into this trade talk. I had hinted over Twitter that I would be doing a trade episode, and that one is today. I'm going to be grading some trades, going to be doing like looking at some of these hypothetical deals that uh, Nuggets fans and Nuggets numbers listeners have come up with. So we are going to get into that. We will be right back. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. We're back. Nuggets numbers. Ryan Blackburn here. Let's get into this hypothetical trade discussion. Excuse me. Can't really talk over my words. I'm drinking a a Mike's Hard Lemonade over here in South Carolina. Just having a grand old time. It's pretty sticky on the tongue, but that is what it is. Um, Let's get into it. Uh, I'm just going to run through these in in order kind of when I receive them. And we're going to go through them together. And I'm just going to give you my honest opinion, just running through. First one is between the Nuggets and the Pacers. Pacers get Gary Harris, Jeremy Granton, a 2022 Nuggets first. The Nuggets get Miles Turner and Doug McDermott. I think the Pacers say no on that one for obvious reasons. Victor Oladipo is coming back. They already have Malcolm Brogdon. They've got TJ Warren. They've got Jeremy Lamb. I don't really think they need Gary Harris in that in that equation. And while Miles Turner would be really good in Denver, I don't really think he is the right guy to to get from the Pacers. There there are other things that I think you could do with that team, but I don't think the Pacers want Gary Harris that much at this in this case, even though he is an Indiana guy, so you you would hope that maybe that has something to do with it. But Turner's great. I don't think the Pacers want to move him for that package. Next deal is between the Nuggets and the Hawks. The Nuggets get Chandler Parsons and Trey Young. Chandler Parsons was just recently injured pretty badly in a car accident. Hope he, hope he gets well, man. That's a, that's a really tough thing, especially for for somebody like like him who's already dealt with so many injuries. Uh, Chandler Parsons and Trey Young to Denver. Gary Harris, Jeremy Grant, Wancho Hernan Gomez, and two firsts to the Hawks. Uh, the Hawks are going to say no on that one. They are building their entire team around Trey Young, rightly or wrongly. They're not going to give him up for Gary Harris as the the primary piece of that package. They would maybe they would consider it for Jamal Murray, but at that point, not sure the Nuggets would really want to do that. There's just so many factors that go into that discussion too. So 
think they say no to that. Next one is with the Nuggets and the Suns. It's also it's basically the same package to the Suns for Devin Booker. Yeah, I think Devin Booker's untouchable too in kind of that same regard. If the Nuggets wanted to give up Michael Porter Jr., maybe they maybe they start discussing that. But Devin Booker, while he would be an excellent fit with this Nuggets team, kind of as a, a creative wing who can score efficiently in a variety of different ways off the dribble, off of the catch, he would be wonderful with Nikola Jokic, but I think the, the Suns pretty clearly say no on that one. Next one looks like it's going to be with the Houston Rockets. Uh, the Rockets get Mason Plumley, Jeremy Grant, and Jared Vanderbilt, and the Nuggets get Clint Capella and P.J. Tucker. Uh, yeah, I think the Rockets say no on this one, too. That's two of their starters for basically a bunch of bench players for the Nuggets, even though Mason Plumlee's pretty good and would fit well with James Harden, and Jeremy Grant would fit really well in the Rockets system. I don't think... Uh, I don't think they go for that. There's just too much too much at risk there for Houston that if they trade Clint Capella and P.J. Tucker and if they don't make that work, then maybe James Harden decides he doesn't want to be there anymore. It wouldn't surprise me at all. Maybe they, they if they alienate their star by trading a couple of their starters, a couple of the guys that James Harden has gone to bat with for a variety of bench players from Denver, then I don't think that they're going to see that well from the Houston side. So going to be a no from me. Here's one that I really wanted to get to. This is between the Pelicans and the Nuggets, and you guys are already know who I'm going to be talking about. It is the Nuggets get Drew Holiday, and the Pelicans get Gary Harris, Wancho Hernan Gomez, Malik Beasley, and the 2022 Nuggets first. Now let me first say that I do like Drew Holiday as a player, and I think this deal makes the Nuggets better. That is that is the first thing. The second thing is that I don't think the Pelicans do that deal, and Nuggets fans have been kind of fantasizing about parting with Gary Harris, parting with the guys that they don't think they're already going to re-sign, and then maybe giving up an extra first for a guy like Drew Holiday, who's really good, he's really talented, he's very versatile, he can handle the ball, he can play off-ball. Uh, he has a lot of drives to the rim. He plays excellent defense. That's a guy that you would love to have on the roster, especially as a third option, and maybe even a, a fourth option going forward on this Nuggets team. If they were to have Jamal Murray, Drew Holiday, Michael Porter Jr., Jeremy Grant, Nikola Jokic as their lineup both going forward and maybe something that they could turn to this year, I think that's something that they would really enjoy that there there's a lot to like about that particular group. Um I don't think the Pelicans say yes to this deal. I think that they're they they would want something in addition to that. And you don't know what exactly they would want because Lonzo Ball has been great. Brandon Ingram has been great. Uh they want to see Zion Williamson. They're also kind of coming to like they're they're Kind of getting on that roll, the the Pelicans are. Let me see if I can pull up their their recent win totals. Yeah, they're six and four in their last ten games. They're only three and a half games out of the eight spot. They want to win. They want to be in the playoffs. They won't like keep Drew Holiday hostage because they want to do that. Especially if they think he can get them a really good value. I think they can get a better deal 
and more valuable pieces from other teams. Now maybe Malik Beasley's the guy that they see as a as a piece of the future there. Maybe they would consider Gary Harris kind of a rental there before they eventually flip him. But I don't think Gary Harris wants to be there, and I don't think they they think that Gary Harris would be the piece that kind of elevates them and elevates their core over the top. But maybe they do see that. I think that's a trade that now I would consider the Nuggets could do, given that Gary Harris has really fallen off, given that Wancho Hernan Gomez and Malik Beasley probably aren't going to be back. I don't think the Nuggets need a first-rounder in 2022. So if they believe that Drew Holiday could be the guy that kind of gives them that bump, gives them that push, then they should do it. Uh, but it really it really just kind of depends on who they want to be, which kind of what kind of team they see themselves being. Do they want to try and get over the hump? Do they want to try and win a championship? Or do they just need a deal that they can get them over the Houston Rockets and the Utah Jazz and that group? Because if, if that's the case, if it's the second group, then I think that Drew Holiday gets them there. I don't think that Drew Holiday gets them above the Lakers and the Clippers. That's my opinion. It could be wrong. But the Nuggets are in a position where they they have to be asking those questions and they have to be honest with themselves and say, hey, is this the group that can get us into the Western Conference Finals? <clears throat> if they get the right seed, maybe. Maybe if they don't have to play certain teams, but I don't think this team has a really great answer for the Houston Rockets. Maybe Drew Holiday is that answer. Maybe Drew Holiday is a guy that they can put on James Harden and consistently try and just lock him down with that group. Maybe he's not good enough. We'll have to see. I, I'm i on the fence with it. I think that he can be, and if that's the case, then I think that it's a good idea. I also think that there's also some extra ramifications there that if they were to trade for Drew Holiday, Drew has this year, next year, and then a, play, a player option after that. So the player option, option if he were to decline that, then the Nuggets would start to have a little bit of extra space in 2021 where there are a, num- a number of other options on the free agent market. You could go with Giannis, Bradley Beal, uh, CJ McCollum is out there, I'm pretty sure. Um, I think Paul George, and Jan- or Paul George and Kawhi Leonard have opt-outs at that point. Uh, there are a lot of options, and... Giving yourself an opportunity to explore 2021 free agency is a really good idea because there are a lot of teams and a lot of there are a lot of teams that are going for that, and a lot of players are going to be available because of that. The Nuggets may be able to find the guys that they need to complement the core that they already have, or maybe they want to reshape their core. Maybe they say, "Hey, we want to go all in for Giannis," and if they can get him, then they should because they've already got Jokic. If they feel like they can add him to Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr., then I don't know who's stopping that team. But either way, I'm starting to lean towards the Drew Holiday is a good option for this Nuggets team. I don't know if it's the best option, but that's where I'm at with it. Uh, How are we doing on time right now? All right, let me go through a couple more here, and then I will... Uh, take a break and then 
come back with some more trade scenarios. Uh, oh, here's another one. Uh, the 76ers. Malik Beasley has been rumored to be an interesting target for the 76ers. So this deal that I received has Zaire Smith going to the Nuggets in in response for or for Malik Beasley. Like just those two guys straight up. There's something to be said for that deal, and I'm not sure it's perfect. I'm not sure it's even a great idea, but Malik Beasley's on an expiring contract. And Zaire Smith is under team control for this year, the, the remainder of this year, the following year, and the year after that on a rookie contract. A pretty decent deal, too. Uh, the Nuggets are about to get really expensive. And with Jamal Murray's extension kicking in, with Nikola Jokic already making max money, uh, you have to re-sign Jeremy Grant and Paul Millsap and guys like that. You're going to need a backup center. So if that's Mason Plumley, then it's Mason Plumley. Torrey Craig is on the market too. Gary Harris already makes a significant amount of money at the starting shooting guard position. Will Barton's already locked in for double digits. You need guys that are cheap. And if you can get that to keep your books clear, it may not be the perfect thing for this season. But if you don't think that Malik Beasley is going to be in the playoff rotation, or at least a, like a, a significant piece of it, maybe he plays five minutes here, six minutes there, uh, on maybe once every three games, then I think you probably do this deal. I think you probably try and capitalize on as much value as you can get from him, send him to a place where he can succeed in Philadelphia, and just enjoy that. Zaire Smith was a guy that they had some interest in back in the 2018 draft. Obviously, they took Michael Porter Jr., uh, just a little bit ahead of Zaire Smith, and that worked out pretty well for them, I would say. I think that was the the right call, but that doesn't necessarily mean that Zaire Smith can't be a strong piece. He has been dealing with injuries. He's been uh, had some career-threatening, life-threatening stuff going on with him, but as long as they get a clean bill of health, if he was somebody that that they were interested in and if, if they believe that he could contribute to a team long-term. I think he's a guy that actually fits pretty well with this roster. He's more of an off-ball threat, more of an off-ball shooting guard, small forward type, has the size of a shooting guard to be clear, pretty small. But if he's there, if he's somebody who can, who he knows how to cut, he knows how to play, he knows how to He's, he's has been developing his skills. He's pretty athletic. That's a guy who could be a backup shooting guard in Denver and, and fare pretty well whenever he plays with Nikola Jokic or he can defend guys that Jamal Murray or Monte Morris don't really want to or can't defend. I think that there's there's something to be said for that with this with this particular deal. So this is something that unless the Nuggets had larger plans for the trade deadline and needed Malik Beasley's uh, contract rights as something to to really watch out for, then this is something that I would actually sign off on. It's it's not a sexy deal. It's not perfect. And I think people would really miss Malik Beasley. But if he's gone after the year, then you probably want to get something for him. So we'll see how that goes. And let's do one more right now. Um, this is a Nuggets and Timberwolves trade. And actually, uh, just be really fresh in the minds of people because the Timberwolves and Nuggets just played. So the Nuggets would get Robert Covington in this deal and the Timberwolves would get Jeremy Grant and Malik Beasley. So kind of similar uh, to some of the others, but in a, in a 
strikingly different way. The Nuggets add a six foot seven small forward who's comfortable defending guys both on and off the ball at that small forward position. They would lose Jeremy Grant and Malik Beasley in the process. Something to be said for this deal. I'm not sure if the Timberwolves would go for it without including draft picks. They really like Robert Covington, and they want they have their sights set on a point guard of the future in maybe D'Angelo Russell, maybe it's, uh, uh, I don't know, Chris Paul. And I know he wouldn't be the future, really, but they're looking, they're looking to add some talent, and they really want a point guard. And Robert Covington, I think, is the guy that gets them that point guard. So it would be tough, in my opinion, for the Timberwolves to say yes to that deal. Uh, Jeremy Grant seems like a, a pretty good hypothetical fit with Carl Anthony Towns. Malik Beasley seems like a decent hypothetical fit there as well. Jarek Culver's more of a ball handler, and Malik Beasley's more of a shooter, guys like that. Uh, however, I don't really see it, and I don't really see it from Denver's side as well. I like Jeremy Grant. Uh, and actually, no, well, screw it. Like, Robert Covington would be a great fit on this team. And while I do think that Jeremy Grant is the the future, like at this at this power forward position, if you're looking for a nice short-term move where he could start and maybe play next to Michael Porter Jr. at times, that would be a great idea. Uh, if you've got a lineup of Murray, Harris, Porter, Covington, Jokic, or switch in Barton for for Harris, it's a pretty good lineup. That's a pretty good offensive lineup and a good veteran scoring lineup down the road. Uh, I'd, I'd be interested in that deal. I don't think it happens because I think that power forward is so important for Denver right now. And if you if you are confident in Michael Porter Jr. as a small forward, then you're probably going to not get another guy that's going to play his position while giving up one of the power forwards that I think fits with them pretty well. So we'll see what happens, but I don't think this deal gets done one way or the other. Um, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll get into some more trades. I'll kind of give my overall thoughts on the trade deadline itself. We will be right back. Nuggets numbers, Ryan Blackburn here, going through some trade scenarios, going to do three or four more before giving my overall thoughts on, on this trade deadline with regard to the Denver Nuggets, what they need, what they what they should be really searching for. Um, let's scroll through one that I think makes more sense for people, makes sense for both sides. Uh, no, nah, it's another Devin Booker deal. I don't think that's going to get done, obviously. Uh Exit out of this real quick. No, Bradley Beal can't be traded. People keep throwing in Bradley Beal deals. He can't be traded, guys. Like that's that's just not something that is really viable, uh, at least legally. Uh, he he can't legally be traded for at this point. Uh, here's one. Another another Washington Wizards involved deal. 
Uh, Wizards get Watcher Hernan Gomez and Malik Beasley, and the Nuggets get Davis Bertans. Yeah, I think that's a great move. I think that that's, that's something that Denver should really consider. There is a caveat to that, though, and the caveat is this. If Paul Millsap and Jeremy Grant are healthy and you want to play Michael Porter Jr., where does he play? Where does he play in that situation? If you think that Paul Millsap's going to get the starter minutes, 25 minutes per game or so, how many minutes does Jeremy Grant get at the backup power forward? How many minutes then would Davis Bertans get at the backup small forward position? I think it's a it's a pretty interesting thought. And, and while I, I think people would love Davis Bertans, I think this would be a classic situation of the <coughs> – of the Nuggets kind of needing a a different a different look. Maybe they would have to move Michael Porter Jr. into the starting lineup at that situation in order to kind of fit him in. Uh, if you had a starting lineup of Murray, Barton, MPJ, Millsap, and Jokic, and then a bench of Monte, uh, Gary Harris, Davis Bertans, Jeremy Grant, and Mason Plumley, I think that makes more sense. But there are so many more dynamics to that than um, than I think people give credit for. Uh, Davis Bertans, I think, is a guy that if you trade for him, you're probably either trading one of three guys. You're probably trading Paul Millsap, you're probably trading Jeremy Grant, or you're trading Mason Plumley. Because if you're in that position, I think you you want Davis Bertans to be playing pretty consistently, but he won't be playing pretty consistently, or Jeremy Grant will be cut out of the rotation. And I don't think the Nuggets really want either of those things. Jeremy Grant's a guy that they want to give the starting job to next year, I think. They want him to continue to develop his minutes and earn that. Davis Bertans last year couldn't get off the bench in a Game 7 that the, the Spurs played against the Nuggets, and I thought that that was pretty notable when discussing Davis Bertans' overall value. I think in an ideal world, he the Nuggets play small, and, and they play with Michael Porter Jr. at the 3, Davis Bertans at the 4, and Jeremy Grant at the 5, and that's six that's three six foot nine, six foot ten guys kind of all in a row that can switch and one of them plays the five, but there's a lot more shooting, a lot of athleticism in that group. Maybe that's a good, fun wrinkle for this team, and that will be great. But you're giving up Mason Plumley in that situation, or you're benching him, and I don't think that that's a, a great situation either, given the season that he's had and how important he is to Denver all's overall team defense. Um, I do like Davis Bertans. I think he really fits. The problem is he fits next year when the Nuggets are starting Jeremy Grant and Michael Porter Jr., and they can have Davis Bertans coming off of the bench playing next to whichever bench center they have. So it's unfortunate, but that's that's kind of where I'm at with it. Maybe they're in a situation where they don't trade for Davis Bertans for this year, but they sign him in free agency next year. They probably have the mid-level ex- exception and could probably do that. Maybe that's how they let one of their current power forwards go. Here's another one. Uh, this is involving the Detroit Pistons. This is Watcher Hernan Gomez, Malik Beasley, and a 2022 second round pick for Derrick Rose. This is another, uh, it's, it's just eh to me on, on top of having some, some like not pleasant feelings about having Derrick Rose on this roster for, for obvious reasons, like non-basketball reasons. 
Derrick Rose doesn't necessarily fit with what the Nuggets are doing. He, in a vacuum, is a, a scorer, and the Nuggets could gen- generally need some scoring, and that would be great. But who's he play- is he playing over Monte Morris? Because if he is, then the Nuggets could probably trade Monte Morris in this deal. But I don't think he should be playing over Monte Morris. I think the play would be to play them both together. But that also changes the rotation in a variety of ways. Maybe they start playing three guards off of the bench with Monte Morris, Derek Rose, and one of Harris or Barton. Uh, that leaves Porter to play the four, but he can't really play the four. So that there's just a lot of a lot of weird stuff there, and a lot of people are trading Watcher Hernan Gomez and Malik Beasley that combination for a genuine rotation player when the Nuggets are kind of set at their rotation in nine spots, they're not going to go to 10. I think that the the real play here is you have to upgrade one of those rotation spots. So if the goal is to upgrade point guard, then maybe this does it. Maybe Rose is the backup point guard and he continues to uh, be a great scorer for this, for this, uh, for this Nuggets team when they need it. But if you believe in Michael Porter Jr. as kind of the, the bench scorer and maybe, Jamal Murray or Gary Harris or Will Barton rotates onto that unit on occasion, then they probably don't need Derrick Rose. They don't need necessarily what he provides. And Derrick Rose is not a good defender. Uh, Him playing next to Monte Morris would make Denver's defense a lot worse just because both of those guys are very small. And one of them would have to defend a shooting guard. And that's, that's probably not a great situation to be in. Um, so I don't like that deal. I never really have liked the acquisition of Derrick Rose unless you're trading Monte Morris, and even then, it's not great. Another one. Let's do one more. Um, that one's too complicated. Here's one. Uh, Nuggets get Bogdan Bogdanovich from the Sacramento Kings, and they give up Wancho Hernan Gomez, Malik Beasley, and Vlatko Chanchar. This is probably more along the lines of what I would do, what I would consider... Uh, than Derek Rose because Bogdan Bogdanovich is six foot six. He's a point guard or he's a, a shooting guard and can play next to Monte Morris pretty competently. Uh, I would do this deal. I don't know if the Kings would do this deal, but I, as the Nuggets, would do this deal for a number of reasons. Jokic playing with Bogdanovich on and at least having those guys on the roster would be great. Unfortunately, you trade Wancho Hernan Gomez and Flacco Chanchar, and both of those guys are good friends with Nikola Jokic right now, so you kind of win one and you lose one there. Uh, But in terms of on-court help, Bogdanovich is a great player. He's a very talented piece. I think it would fit really well with what the Nuggets are trying to do. Uh, He's not a great defender, though. that's That's a big piece of it. They would probably have to choose ultimately between whether they want Gary Harris and Bogdanovich or if they want Gary Harris and Will Barton or if they want Will Barton and Bogdanovich on the roster. And so they could probably keep two of those three guys, but they couldn't keep all three. And Bogdanovich is a restricted free agent after this offseason, or in during this offseason. So they would have to give him a big contract. And this this restricted free or that this free agency period is going to be pretty cheap for or pretty pretty dry for a lot of the talent. So he may get a, a pretty lucrative offer. Uh, that could really screw up Denver's salary cap. Uh, lots of people don't care about that, but that could ultimately let them, or that could ultimately force Denver to 
let go of a guy that they probably shouldn't. Maybe they, in that situation, they let go of uh, PJ Dozier and he turns out to be a pretty solid piece somewhere. He could have been a solid piece for Denver for a lot cheaper than Bogdanovich could. So I don't know. It's an interesting, it's an interesting factor. I think I would do it if I was just going for short term help when you're talking about if Denver needs a shooter, if they need they need a replacement for Gary Harris, if Gary Harris isn't hitting shots, if uh, Will Barton g- comes up dry on occasion, then Bogdanovich would be one of the best options to step in at either wing position and really be a flamethrower. So I would be interested with that for sure. Uh, if you're giving up only Wancho, Malik, and Flacco Chanchar, then from a value perspective, I think it's pretty good for Denver. Uh We'll see how it goes, though. I'm 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 curious to see what Denver does in that situation. Didn't bring up Andre Iguodala in this. I think a lot of people have forgotten about Andre Iguodala, but he's definitely a candidate that Denver could go for. In terms of some other people that Denver could go for, let's take a quick look at the list real quick. I put together a brief list that I think people should consider. Uh with regard to a lot of these teams that are losing teams, uh, you have in the in the Eastern Conference, you have the Bulls who are out of the playoff picture, or not out of it, but they're ninth. Uh, Detroit's 10th, Charlotte's 11th, the Wizards are 12th, Cavs are 13th, Knicks are 14th, Hawks are 15th in the East. Among those teams, the one that stands out is the Knicks and Marcus Morris. Uh I'm not a big fan of adding a Morris brother just because I don't think that they're great for the locker room. But when you talk about overall talent level and if you need a shooter really badly, then Marcus Morris can shoot the rock and he defends pretty well or at least like defends well enough to be on the floor in playoff scenarios. Um, on the Detroit Pistons, we already talked about Derrick Rose. Uh, Hawks don't really have a guy that I think could – Denver could use the Cavs. Kevin Love would be cool, but not for the price that he's going to command. Uh, on the Grizzlies, Andre Iguodala, as I mentioned. Thunder don't really have anybody, that, and nor are they probably going to trade anybody to Denver at this point. Spurs will never make an in-season trade. Portland is probably out, but Denver's not going to trade with Portland for obvious reasons. Phoenix, uh, they want to make the playoffs. They're not going to be sellers. Maybe that's a place where Malik Beasley goes. Uh, Wouldn't be a surprise at all if they feel like they need some extra shooting. Uh, Malik Beasley would be good there next to Devin Booker or or behind him. Pelicans, we already mentioned Drew Holiday. J.J. Redick could be a piece that Denver looks at. Derek Favors also if they feel like they need to upgrade over Mason Plumlee. Timberwolves, Robert Covington, Kings, we already talked about Bogdanovich. There's nobody else really that I think Denver needs there or would want. And then nobody really on the Warriors that I think they'd want either. So this is going to be a really interesting trade deadline for Denver. I think it really kind of sets the tone for who they want to be in this upcoming playoff sphere. They have the capability to get up to Tier 1. Tier 1 currently for me comprises the Lakers, the Clippers, and the Bucks. I know the Clippers are kind of shaky, but I think they'll eventually make it work. When you have Paul George and Kawhi Leonard on your team and can build pieces around them, they'll probably make a deal that, that helps elevate them, and Paul George will come back healthy, and they're or at least healthy enough, and they will be in a pretty solid position. 
Uh, the Lakers, obviously, you have to find guys that can match up with LeBron and Kawhi, or not Kawhi, but LeBron and Anthony Davis. And Denver doesn't have a great matchup for that, but with Jokic engaged, with uh, with Paul Millsap kind of resting up right now a little bit, hopefully he's getting healthier. With Jeremy Grant currently on the roster, I think there is a situation where they could match up decently with decently with the Lakers, but it's not perfect. And when you get to a game six or a game seven, I still think that you probably need a better guy to match up with LeBron. Uh, That's not Michael Porter Jr. yet. And it's probably not Jeremy Grant. Just saying, Uh, even though I like Jeremy Grant, he, uh, he's probably not going to stop LeBron James in a, in a critical playoff game. Uh, Very few people can. So that means that you have to have other capable pieces around you. And I'm not sure the Nuggets have enough shooting right now to really get through it. So that's another factor in terms of the the starting trio of Murray, Harris, and Barton. And then the the Bucks. If you if you were to get to the <coughs> if you were to get to the NBA Finals, do you have a guy that can stop Giannis? I think Jeremy Grant's a pretty solid option. He's not going to stop him, but he's at least going to mirror him and stay in front of him. Uh, Nikola Jokic will be a tough cover for them because Brook Lopez is, while he is great, I still think that Jokic can really be a factor there. Uh, but if you're the Nuggets, do you want to be competing with those guys? That's a really big question. That's something that I think Denver has to ask when they're thinking to themselves, oh man, do we really trust Gary Harris right now? Do we really trust Mason Plumley right now? Uh, do we really trust uh, Malik Beasley? Uh, are, are we going to trust Will Barton as a starting three? Uh, do we even trust Jamal Murray? He's, he's had some up and down moments, and I don't think they're, the ups have been as frequent as he would like. Uh, he has the capability. We've already seen it from him in the playoffs last year, but it wasn't very consistent. And if you get a bad game like happened in Game 7 against the Blazers last year, then that's it. That's done. So... This Nuggets team really needs to come to grips with who they want to be. Uh, If they want to be a Western Conference Finals participant, then they probably have to make a deal. I really think that I trust Denver to lose against the Utah Jazz right now. And I trust them to lose against the Houston Rockets. Those are the other teams in their tier. Right now, the Nuggets are a Tier 2 team along with the Rockets, the Mavericks, who's at the very bottom of Tier 2, and the Jazz. And I don't think the Nuggets have a great matchup for them, for any of those teams, really. If Rudy Gobert is getting away with murder while guarding Jokic, then Jokic is going to be very frustrated. Uh, James Harden and Russell Westbrook being on an island against uh, Jamal Murray, against Will Barton, I I don't really trust Denver's guys right now with that. And then with... uh, with Dallas, they, they've shown that they can handle the Luka Doncic pick and roll. But can they do it for seven games? Can they can they ultimately figure that out? We'll see. I think they probably can. I think that's a series that Denver probably wins. But against the Rockets and the Jazz, I don't think that they're at that level quite yet. So they got to make a deal. And it's up to Tim Connolly, Arturis Karnasovas, Michael Malone, everybody kind of in that coagulate to really step back and look at their roster and say, okay, do we want to be at this level yet? Is this like, are we going to skip steps and make an in-season trade 
to get over the hump and potentially get into the Western Conference Finals? Can they even make a trade to get them into the NBA Finals? Can they make a trade that puts them into that conversation? I don't know what the answer is, but I think it's no. I think the answer is no, and I don't expect them to be able to do that. So I'm looking forward to seeing what the answers are just as much as all other Nuggets fans are. Hope that the the going through trade proposals was a nice kind of change of pace and a nice uh, look into my mind on who the Nuggets should be going for, who they could be going for, what Nuggets fans really care about, what they want to see out of this roster, out of this team. Uh, but that's going to do it here for Nuggets Numbers this week. Let me know if you have any other trades and comment down below in this thread. If you, if you want to reach out to me on a, a bunch of trade ideas, I'm always willing, always willing to talk about it. Uh, we'll generally give my opinions. And most of the time I'm going to say no because either it's an unbiased trade in favor of Denver or it's not something that I think Denver should do. Uh, but in the rare event that there is a yes, it generally means that I think it could help Denver move past these other group of Western Conference Finals contenders. If they can do that, look out. Because this team has a strong future. But if they continue to push forward and make it to the Western Conference Finals this year, it's a really big step in their development. Again, that's going to do it. We'll talk to you guys next week. Next week.